Welcome to show 49 of the C-Suite podcast, the fourth and final show that we're producing at Can Lions that's sponsored by Capstone Hill Search and interviews that we are carrying out at the Echo House of PR. Joining me for my first interview today, we have Chris Clark, Chief Creative Officer at uh, Digitas LBI, and Dr. Heather Knight, who is a roboticist. Heather, you're here with uh, Ginger the robot, uh, your comedy uh, sidekick, and you and Chris were presenting on the uh, stage uh, yesterday all about can data make you funnier? How, how did that uh, session go? The session was good. Um, yeah, we talked about sort of like technology and the future, it turns out. We started with robots, we ended with people, but the big theme was this, was that technology should be more than functional, so it could maybe mm. like add value. Was, was that a first for Ken to have a, a, a robot on stage? Or certainly a robot I think, comedian. I think it might have been, um, judging by the amount of interest we got ahead of the session and during and afterwards. Um, you know, it's, it's a subject that's resonating because there are a lot of kind of alarming headlines in the newspaper, uh, in the newspapers, and, and, and you know, all, all over the place about the sort of dangers of the rob- robot future. Um, you know, the idea that robots will replace humans, that we will, that we've probably already got the first useless humans being born. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we've I, seen. Isn't that the dream, though? Honestly, <laughs> yeah. like I mean, that's yeah. what's supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut, I think, um, wrote wrote about about that. There's a sort of apocalypse um, in his book Galapagos, and we we evolve into sleek, furry creatures that lie around on the beach, laughing at each other, farting, and and we're eternally happy as a result. Um, but I suppose we're sort of at the moment kind of somewhat programmed to do a job and to get purpose from that. And I, I guess it's going to be an interesting transition for for people to, you know, to, to, to move away from that. But I mean, but we're not going to move away from that. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, like if people work longer hours. Like, like yeah. we, every time we make like leads in efficiency, yeah. people just like... Are like great now we can make more money. Like, yeah. Like <laughs> is that a question that you get a lot though in terms of people coming up to you almost you know angrily saying you're going to put me out of a job? Um, I mean people are definitely concerned about that and I think they're right. Um, you know like in the you know the economic downturn and like you know whatever yeah. it was like ten years ago like a lot of people were yeah. let off and when the company started making money again they didn't rehire yeah. you know yeah. because they 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 bought a lot they invested in technology and, and they you know, liked having fewer people to pay. Um, <laughs> I mean, that like, if you only go by capitalism, like, the idea of, like, automating people out is a powerful motivator for a mm. company. Um, that being said, uh, I mean, that I don't think it's, like, the most innovative use of technology. Like, um, I, I, I th- that sort of old-fashioned robotics to me is automation. Like, the, the yeah. stuff that's right now that's, like, that's the cutting edge is, like, this idea of, robots that do things in our worlds and um, those robots don't really replace people they mm. kind of like work with us yeah so that, that was one of our sort of key themes really was that um, that the positive potential robot future is more around augmenting humans with robots um, or robots and humans working together yeah um, and that's you know we, we, we ask questions like is it possible to code for kindness um, is it is it possible to to to, to sort of generate empathy with a robot and I think that's what Ginger sort of demonstrates to an extent we, we also talked can you, can, you, can you without getting too political can you do that for prime ministers in terms of <laughs> well, no, we, we actually have a robot prime minister in the UK although um, you know the idiotic woman can't form a government at the moment so um, you know hopefully she will be replaced by a human soon um, uh, but that whole thing about empathy is, yeah. is the key isn't it yeah yeah exactly so um 
we, we, you know, we, we, we were talking, Heather and I were talking um, at the session about um, the, the way that companies tend to prioritise efficiency in the use of technology. So most of the technologies that have disrupted industries have been efficiency plays. Um, and perhaps it's more interesting sometimes to, to look away from that um, and, and, and see whether, whether efficiency is the best goal. Mm. Heather, why build a, a comedy, a, a comedian robot? Um, so I'm trying to solve this complex problem of how do you like model people, period. And it turns out that's like not like a single line of code. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so I've been looking a lot at um, acting training and because uh, um, they're, they're sort of, and also at dance. Um, because when you look at the like human performers, like they have a lot of insight about how you craft characters and about relationships over time. So um, I um, really just wanted an excuse to work with people that were in that format and I had a single robot. And so I'm like, what kind of robot? do on stage by itself and so we went with stand-up comedy and it was sort of a random decision at first but it's been beautiful because I've learned so much about humor and I honestly think that like if technology could apologize sometimes like or make fun of itself like we would be happier people how do you uh, (laughs) how do you teach a robot to be funny then yeah so humor is a mostly about surprise I mean so when I started I just thought like you just teach them a good joke like done (laughs) <laughs> no, but um, it's not quite true. So, like, it's like a lot of comedy is storytelling. So it's like it's it like you're interested in the story because it's coming from the that person or that robot. Um, so I've like one of the things I've learned in in doing robot comedy is you should really like make sure that the voice is coming from the robot. So like it can make jokes that would make no sense for me to make. Like I like I'm not gonna joke about my sensors or like my like audience <laughs> perception algorithm. Like it doesn't like it doesn't make s- it's not funny. Yeah. But like a robot talking about that stuff can be hilarious. And how long does the whole process take in terms of? teaching to be funny well i mean i i wouldn't i don't know it's not it's not really properly teaching like like so i've done two there's like two different types of program one yeah. is like the the robot like just had a database of jokes and it would sort of randomly like cue them and then um look at f- for feedback but then as i've learned more about this sort of structure of yeah. comedy and storytelling then it's been uh, like i've collaborated with a lot of people but it's it's, it's more planned but we like try to build in mm. moments of yeah. like serendipity. But what I was going to ask is, part of being a, a good stand-up comedian is playing off that audience, isn't it? And knowing where to. That's where what you think, things. but no, I mean, so what I—that's where I began as well. Like, and it like I you're kind of like my picture was the, like that that they would be like super attuned to the audience, and you have to be present. Yeah. But I mean, when you're on stage, like you're like the ringleader. So I mean, you're not really their slave. Like you're their leader. And that's yeah. a very different role, and that means like, like you like you're supposed to put the audience like in like in you know in in their place. Like, yeah. so if like someone speaks out, like you you kind of like take it back. And I didn't know that. So when I started, and I was having this like super sort of like Netflixy sort of program where it's like listening to the audience and trying to give them what they want. Like I started interviewing some comedians, and they were just like, "What are you doing? Like <laughs> the audience is not in charge. <laughs> you have this completely backwards." And so it was kind of interesting yeah. to hear. Yeah, I mean, even when you look at, you know, famously spontaneous comedians like Eddie Izzard or Stuart Lee, um, if you go and see their show in five different cities, it's the same show. And even 
quite often the heckles uh, yeah. responses yeah. Are, are the same yeah. you know comedians write their stuff um, and this is where I think um, what what we what you know what Heather's doing with with Ginger is relevant and interesting to brands is that brands know they have to form relationships with customers and they do you know CRM you know how, how, how how's that for a turning a relationship into a really horrible acronym um, and and it comes across as very robotic and you you know in in the in the pejorative sense of robotic you get a lot of you know emails that yeah have, one day that's going to be a know, compliment yeah exactly yeah that's <laughs> what that's what we're working towards right that's what you're working towards um, but but you know I think what we can learn what brands can learn from from ginger is that it is possible to 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 autom- to have an automated program that feels human and feels self-deprecating and charming and isn't you know about pure efficiency but is about moving away from just doing tasks for people towards having a a, a real relationship. Chris have you got um, any examples where you're now putting this into practice with some of your clients or or where you're looking to take things? Um, I mean this is all this is all sort of pretty cutting-edge stuff really Um, but having now worked with Heather and, and done um, this event, uh, I'm very excited about the possibilities, yeah. um, and I've, I've got clients in mind that I think would be interested in it. Any immediate commercial applications that you could see this being worked with for a comedy? Or I mean, so so I mean, I'm, I'm a social robotics researcher, so like like yeah. any, like, I mean, that is like the world right now. Is yeah. is like you know, are we going to have like robots delivering things to our houses? Like, think about that. Could you imagine like a robot stepping on your property? Like in the US, that means you can like shoot someone sometimes, yeah. at least in some states. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, well, I, I saw, yeah, I was you know, it's like, it's like so what's going to happen? Like, I, I mean, like, it, but I mean, when, no matter where you are, it's like, it's like your world. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, there's definitely certain applications. I, I was at a conference recently where they showed examples um, that I think is actually happening at the moment where you've got a concierge in a, in a hotel as you know no reason why that that sort yeah, of role and can't there's be robots taken over that by deliver by things like yeah. like food in a hotel and people are like oh it's a robot i don't need to put my clothes on <laughs> it still has a camera guy it still has a camera <laughs> it's going to save that forever do not be naked <laughs> so um so just to finish off then where <laughs> where where do you guys uh want to want to take this in the next say 12 to 18 months then chris let's let's start with you oh look, i mean I, i'm as i said i'm i'm excited about you know some of the potential for in it helping organizations be more human more interesting um and, and less robotic <laughs> um. more robotic just in a different kind of robot yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and obviously we don't have ginger here um she's obviously been out on the on the rose at can uh, too much so we don't have her to answer for herself but, but what's the plans for ginger and and any other um robots that you might be creating in in, in, in the short term well so i'm starting a new research lab at oregon state university so in the fall it's going to be called charisma so yeah, we're we're you know keeping uh, moving forward and trying to understand like human machine relationships and how to make machines have personality. Great stuff, uh, Dr. Heather Knight and Chris Clark. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Thank you. Capstone Hill Search are global recruitment experts for the public relations, public affairs, corporate, and digital communications industries. We are the only recruitment partners to the PRCA in the UK, PR Council in the USA, and the ICCO's endorsed recruitment partner internationally, with offices in London, Melbourne, Sydney, as well as New York, covering the UK, Europe, continental USA, and Australasia. Whether you are looking for a new role or have a role to fill, get in touch at capstonehillsearch.com. 
Welcome back to the C-Suite Podcast here at the ICO House of PR at Cannes Lions. And my next guest is Catherine Balsam-Schwaber from Mattel. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much. Uh, now, you are presenting tomorrow on a panel with uh, CBS, um, which I believe is called Back to the Future of Branded Content. But I guess my, uh, my first question is, uh, can you build a brand using content? Absolutely. I think one of the interesting things in the evolution of marketing is how much the consumer's appetite has changed for content and what we think of as content. I think one of the big differentiators from where we were, let's say, 10 years ago is that content is really just the expression of the brand in a different format where there used to be so much focus on commercial content and now we're all looking for new ways to connect with consumers through the stories that brands have to tell. We're in a very fortunate position that our brands are story-driven and our narrative, many of them are characters, and that allows us to connect with consumers, both kid consumers and parent consumers, in a very content-led environment, which works extremely well for us. Well, we're actually picking up on, on what you're just saying there in terms of connecting with the kids and, and parents. That that must provide, obviously, some challenges as a brand when you're communicating to, to the children as well. How, how have those challenges evolved over the last few years, would you say? Well, interestingly, Mattel is a business that has always led from a a narrative-driven standpoint. Even when Ruth and Elliot Handler formed Mattel many years ago, they were among the first to ever advertise to children. They had a deep relationship with Walt Disney and advertised on the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. They actually bet the entire company on that kind of advertising. Yeah, And I think that gave this company a lot of courage around thinking about new ways to connect with our consumers. So for us, the content that we develop is in many cases primarily for children. When you think of Thomas the Tank Engine, uh, we have produced many multiples of Barbie movies, mainly in the direct-to-DVD format, well, right? So, as, as, a, as someone who has a daughter, yeah. I have seen Barbie and Rapunzel. <laughs> oh, and, um, it's a classic. Think, yeah, no, absolutely. And The Nutcracker. Oh, oh, one of my favorites. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we've really evolved the narrative of Barbie, and this year we actually have two new series coming out. One is called Dreamtopia, which is focused on Chelsea, who's Barbie's youngest sister, and her imagination, where Barbie is in the story, but it's not primarily about Barbie. And then the second one is Barbie's Dreamhouse Adventures, which is focused on Barbie's life with her sisters and her puppies, and the adventures they go on that's coming out next year. So Barbie as a character has evolved a lot as well, and I think that um, we see her in as a vlogger. She has a you know, very rich following on YouTube. Um, she's on Twitter. You know, she herself is taking on a greater role of telling her own story, which is uh, appreciated by kids, but also by parents because they grew up with her, and you know, women follow her as a fashion icon. 
I think it's fair to say, though, that she's also been the subject of a bit of controversy in terms of body image over recent years. How are you using content then to position her? I'm talking yeah. her as a person, yes, but, yes. you know, the Barbie, the Barbie brand. Yeah. Well, we think of her as a person. Yeah. Uh, you know, just yesterday, actually, we continued the evolution of our Fashionistas line. Uh, the Fashionistas line is, is where you see Barbie... Uh, is celebration of diversity. You know, we now have Barbies that come in uh, different ethnicities as well as different body shapes. And just yesterday, we actually launched with Ken in the Fashionistas line, also a, a, diva- a diverse collection of dolls. And so we think carefully about how we express that from a content standpoint. And, and we think about diversity in all of our products. I think that that's one of the the many things when we think about our role to imagine the wonder of childhood we want to set up the idea that no matter who you are you're able to find yourself in the characters that we are are giving you to help you imagine what you can be in the future so you see a lot of that especially in the work we've been doing with bbdo for the imagine the possibilities campaign you see those diverse dolls front and center in in how how we are expressing ourselves to the consumer but also how girls are expressing themselves back to us through social media the the, the opportunities for creating content you know with with the, the brands is obviously limitless and, and you've touched on, on a few of the things that, that you're doing can you share anything that um, suggests you know any particular form of content works better than the others or can you share any results that you've seen yeah. well we see actually content is is very effective for us across the board so just last year we partnered with Hudson Electus as a production company and ABC the ABC network in the US to produce uh, a show called the toy box and the toy box is essentially shark tank meets toys where Eric Stone Street hosts and inventors bring their toys to be judged by by kid judges and the winning toy which was released in May exclusively available at Toys R Us sold out in many markets and became available on eBay for four times the price. So you can see that those kinds of programs work to connect with people who love toys. Uh, And, you know, that's television. We have a similar measurement system around the content we've been doing on YouTube where for Hot Wheels and uh, and Thomas, we we can see a correlation between the connection our consumers have with that content and you know the and rising sales. So it's important for us across the board because I think if we're connecting authentically in the right platform at the right time with the right story, then it it works for the overall business. I guess one of the challenges for you is obviously keeping up with all the different platforms and channels, you know, to aggregate your content. I think one of the biggest challenges there is keeping up with our consumer. Yeah. And our consumers are millennials, parents now, Gen Z, which is sort of the in between and the alpha. And the relationship between kids and screens and parents and screens is changing so rapidly that when we think about narrative marketing, you have to be writing your story for every screen simultaneously. That's the way that it's most effective. And then you also have to be thinking about that on a global scale. And different parts of the world are evolving at a different pace. So I think one of the biggest challenges is 
we want to be ahead of our consumer, but we also need to be in, in the right timeline in the right country to be able to really make that connection. And that's something we spend an enormous amount of time thinking about. And uh, so just to finish off in terms of, you know, the future of, of the branded content that you're producing, anything that you can share with us that, you know, things that you're looking at doing? Well, we are uh, greenlit for a second season of The Toy Box in okay. the U.S., so that is a, a big thing. It's shooting right now. We're really excited about it. And then uh, we have a new uh, show coming out with Barbie, the Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures, which is also exciting, uh, and trying to take a lot of those connection points to the next level with, uh, with our global part distribution partners around the world. Excellent. Catherine Balsam-Schwaber, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite Podcast in the iTunes store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Welcome back to what is the final interview of this year's Cannes Lions. Um, I'm at the ICO House of PR and uh, once again just a thank you to our sponsors Capstone Hill for allowing us to uh, bring the podcast back to, um, to Cannes. And uh, my final guest is Pablo Walker, President of McCann World Group Europe. Absolute brilliant timing to be talking to, uh, to Pablo because... Um, his company's won just a few awards uh, over the last few days and, and uh, one of the big ones as well for uh, Fearless Girl. How's, how's yeah. that feeling? Yeah, great. Fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Well, well yeah. listen, we, we're going to come and talk on uh, talk about that campaign shortly. But um, one of the actual reasons we, we were going to be talking is um, Pablo's spent about 25 years at um, McCann, but uh, the bulk of that time was in Latin America. However, the last few years he's moved over to Europe and he's now leading uh, on the EMEA for the agency. What I was keen to find out was what the sort of cultural uh, shift, uh, you know, if, if you've seen any in, in, in terms of the main differences between operating in Latin America and now operating in Europe. Yeah. Um, I can describe one, one in terms of consumer. Let's, say, let's start from consumer. It's the, 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 the obvious one is the language, uh, but at the end it's uh, representative of what happened with consumer and the way we need to face consumers. So in, in Latin America we have basically two languages, that is Spanish and uh, Portuguese for Brazil. Both are, are similar, so if you speak one you can understand the other one. And in Europe we have more than 30 uh, languages. So in Latin America uh, there's a lot of uh, 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 cultural activities, uh, music, uh, TV, literature that works everywhere in the same way. So I will say that there's a regional culture. Instead in Europe, there's a country-by-country country culture. Mm. It's more difficult to have an impact to as, as a, at a regional level with same kind of communication than in, 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 in Europe. That's one, that in Latin America, so that's one. Um, other that I consider important for our, our business is the is the, the 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 labor flexibility in Europe is uh, in, in 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 many camps of uh, countries of Europe is uh, uh, is I, I would say is a lot of unflexibility in term in terms of of labor and that's uh, in nowadays where we need to sh reshape our business very quickly because it's changing in a very dynamic way um, you need flexibility to adapt your structures 
and in Europe it's very difficult to do it. In Latin America it's easier to do it. In, in, in Europe it's, it's slow and it's very expensive. So that's not, that is not helping really the businesses mm. for, because for companies it's more difficult to invest and also it's not good for the workers because the workers need uh, companies doing investment in order to have jobs. So in the long term, and I think in the short term also, I think it's a, it's a dangerous situation for, sure. for Europe. And do, do, do you see any difference in terms of client expectations as well with you know, the, the mixing cultures? Not really, not really. I think that clients are everywhere looking the same. That is uh, for us to work with them in, in, in improving their top line. And also in, uh, in, in our ideas, they are looking for ideas everywhere. And uh, those ideas need to be to have an impact in their business, and need to be measured. Uh, and that's the same in big market, small market, develop, yeah. underdevelop, Europe or Latin America. And what about um, some of the things that um, you know that's been discussed here this week at, at Cannes? We're seeing a lot about things like, for example, uh, data. Obviously, is is is, uh, is key. Purpose-driven marketing, you know, is, is things that we've been talking about quite a lot on the uh, on the podcast, and also innovation. So, that, you know, things like that. Do you, do you are the emerging markets more or less cutting edge in terms of creativity and innovation? Would you say? It's difficult to separate innovation of creativity, but, but I think that we should do it. So innovation, I connected more to, to use of the, the capability to use the technology. And uh, I connected more to startups. And I think that uh, to be developed market or underdeveloped market makes a difference. And uh, so you see the, the innovation centers in the world. They are in Silicon Valley, they are in Berlin, in Barcelona, in Tel Aviv. Creativity. I'm talking about our business. Creativity, I think, is more a cultural uh, thing. So you see, uh, usually in this festival, for example, very good results from uh, developed markets as the US, UK, or Australia. But you also see very good results from emerging markets, markets as Bra uh, Argentina, for example, yes. Brazil, yeah. China, um, India, uh, or uh, Romania. And what about the talent that you're seeing coming from those regions? Are there good opportunities for, for young creatives to, to come through? Um, uh, yeah, coming from Latin America? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that, I think that both, both regions can learn a lot about each other. So I think that, the, that Europe lives a little bit more in a comfortable zone, uh, maybe because of, uh, of the wealth of the, of the region. And uh, to go to Latin America is a is a great experience to find uh, to find in a, a situation where probably they can uh, develop some uh, ideas that are more difficult to be acquired here in uh, in Europe and in the other side probably coming bringing people from Latin America you can probably have better budgets to implement some ideas that in the in the Latin American region is more expensive more difficult because of the cost okay. Okay. Uh, and I think also that multicultural is always something that is uh, an asset in our business you know, our business is built about multiculturalism so we need people from different nationalities gender 
to work in the, in the in 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 our clients because at the end this is a business of ideas and business comes from a combination and from everybody. Absolutely. Well, that's a nice link because talking of ideas, um, you guys have. Uh, one big on, on one particular idea, which was Fearless Girl, um, that's won, uh, I believe, three Grand Prix so far, um, and plenty of other awards. Um, tell us about the campaign. We are, we are very proud and happy with that, uh, with that uh, recognition that the industry has uh, given to this, uh, to this uh, campaign. So um, Fearless Girl is, uh, is a girl around uh, 12 years old that is in the financial district in New York. It was uh, installed there for the Women's Day. Um, this is a work uh, asked uh, for uh, by our client State Street that is investing heavily in women for the last years. And the, and the impact was uh, gigantic. So in the first 12 hours, it had more than 1 billion Twitters. And never stop. Wow. At the beginning was meant to be there one week and now it's going to be uh, at this one year because basically because the people asked uh, to the, the sculpture to stay to stay there. Which is a great endorsement of, of the campaign obviously. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, endorsement of the campaign yes. And obviously that must be a great feeling to, uh, to, have, to have won this week. Yeah yeah and we, we are also uh, so today IPG has its uh, breakfast that is about women that we are doing for at least eight years in a row so it's also a, a subject that is very important for us as a company for many years ago and uh, and, and, and obviously make us uh, feel very proud yeah. okay Pablo so to finish off are there any trends that, that you've seen here in, in, in your time so far this week that you're going to take back to to the agency I think that that um, we we've, we've been seeing for a while the the the, the importance of technology that is changing uh, everything. So I saw a very interesting project that is a, a bra that can identify when women have a cancer. Uh, I, I think it's, it's fantastic. It's technology in in, in the best way, uh, and we'll see a lot more about uh, technology. Um, data and analytics is also, uh, and, and I, I like I like when I heard about smart data because uh, today there's more data than what clients or ourselves can analyze. Uh, so we need to be able to, to be able to to identify what is what and how to use the data and use it in a smart way. And I think that uh, the industry is, is still behind uh, there. And the um, also, is a communication with a, with a purpose. So this uh, fearless girl, and many of the work and the campaigns we've seen uh, here. We have another Grand Prix today, that is a case of Banco Santander, done for for Spain, mm -hmm. that talks basically about the value of everything that is not money. So it's not money. No, it's not all about money. Uh, so that's a purpose also. Um, so I've, I've seen a lot of, uh, of, 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 of that kind of work. And uh, finally, more domestic is uh, the amount of police and security that I've been seeing here in Cannes. Yeah, and, uh, and clearly, that's a trend also. That's a trend. And uh, probably today we have a lot of people and uh, tomorrow we'll have less people and more technology. 
in that area. Yes, uh, absolutely. Well, listen, good luck with, uh, with that particular award this evening and congratulations again on, on all the awards for Fearless Girl. Uh, thank, thank you so much for joining us, Pablo Walker. Thank you very much. So that's it for the C-Suite podcast from Can Lions for another year. Um, been a great year. We've done four uh, full podcasts with some amazing guests. And just want to say thank you to all of them again. Also, a massive thank you to our sponsors, Capstone Hill Search, without whom this couldn't have happened. And, of course, to ICO um, for letting us uh, do all the interviews in their house of PR. Um, absolute great hosts. And it's been um, a brilliant few days. Um, you can listen to all previous shows on SoundCloud, iTunes, or TuneIn. And uh, all you need to do is just search for the C-Suite podcast and if you are on iTunes as I always ask please do give us a decent rating and review because that helps us up the business charts and means more people get to hear about us uh, we've also got a Facebook group and a Twitter feed so you can get involved in the conversation and comment on anything that you've heard on this particular episode or any previous episodes of course um, and if you want to get in touch with us about the shows um, if you want to get involved in any way then you can find me on Twitter which is at Ross Goldsmith um, you can use the C-Suite podcast feed which is simply at C-Suite podcast um, or you can contact Contact us via the contact form on the website, which is csuitepodcast.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening and goodbye.